You're listening to the 20th episode of The Lively Show. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much this week for all of your support. On Tuesday, I shared a post called JessLively.com slash Be Gentle. And in the post, I shared how I've been struggling to be patient as we've been waiting for the last month to find out whether or not Mr. Lively, Franklin, and I can relocate to Austin, Texas. I really appreciated all of your support in that post and wanted to let you know that in this episode, I mention the Austin journey, but I just want to give you guys some background on it. This episode was recorded last week, especially while I was still struggling with it. We don't have any new you know, news to share currently, but we hope to have some good news for you guys next week about this as hopefully we get to some resolution and can move forward. In today's episode, I'm talking with Joy Wilson of joythebaker.com. I know many of you guys already know Joy the Baker because she's A, a really well-known blogger, but also she's a very well-known podcaster with a podcast called Joy the Baker. She is awesome. That's all I have to say. She's the most joyful, charming, and funny person, and I can't wait to get to today's episode. In the episode, we're going to discuss how Joy got exposed to baking, which is a long and hilarious story in and of itself. We're also going to discuss why Joy relocated to New Orleans recently and how that slower pace is affecting her career and life. We're also going to talk about her empowering approach to fear, and Joy is going to answer some reader and listener questions. Let's go to the show. Thank you, Joy, for being on the show. This is a huge honor for me. Hi, Jess. (laughs) Uh, For those who are listening, I just want to say Joy sat down with me at a conference kind of thing last fall in New York, and I said, hey, I'm trying to start a podcast. What what do I do? And you patiently like helped me know a lot of key things that have helped me make the Lively Show happen. So thank you. Oh, gosh. It was my pleasure. I think we sat down on that couch. I was like, get a pen. (laughs) Here's how you start a podcast. Um, Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of like little things that you don't know about iTunes and like subscriptions. It's weird. Like it's a weird world. I totally agree. But it is a really fun one now that I'm in it. And I'm so happy to have our podcast worlds colliding. Full circle. Yeah. Okay, so let's get started. I know we've already talked about this. You're not super excited about this background question about how you got to where you are. So feel free to be as fun with it as possible. Okay. So how I got to where I am. I feel like I feel like I could ask you a follow-up question, which would be like, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> you're in New Orleans and you're a baker. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, uh, where am I? What is this thing? So I think I'll keep my where am I more career oriented and talk about Joy the Baker, right? That's she's the interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is. Too bad we couldn't get her on the show. I know. So booked. <laughs> so so I started baking when I was a kid. Um, I'm a self-taught baker. I never went to culinary school, but my dad is a, as I like to call him, very enthusiastic home baker. And he worked the graveyard shift my whole life at the post office and he would come home around five in the morning and wake my sister and I up. Okay. Not every morning. Like that would be abusive. (laughs) Um, He would wake us up and we would go to the kitchen and make something. And it was often waffles or pies. He'd have us help him roll out pie crust. And that's 
how I started to learn how to bake. Another part of that I know how to bake equation is that my parents were super health food nuts when I was growing up. Really? Yeah. And I grew up in the 80s and health food in the 80s was really not glamorous at all. There weren't like 100% juice gummy bears. No, it was like rice cakes, right? I don't know. (laughs) It was rice cakes. And I mean, even if there were, I think they would have been too expensive for my parents to buy us. But there were (laughs) brown rice rice cakes that are not nearly as fluffy as they are these days. These crazy like whole grain rices that are so bitter. We ate a lot of tofu. And the, the only cookie we had in the house was a whole wheat fig bar. <laughs> Does that count as a cookie? <laughs> it doesn't even count as a cookie, especially when you're five years old, six years old. No, it's nowhere near a cookie. So are you one of those kids when you're like at a friend's house that has junk food, you're like diving into their, their, Oh my uh, God. It was like, pantry. it was just tears of joy. <laughs> and my grandmother used to have lucky charms and I thought she was the smartest woman alive. <laughs> Just to keep Lucky Charms in our cupboard. So because my parents were super into health food, uh, I had to learn how to bake if I wanted to eat anything that wasn't a whole wheat fig bar. So we would always have unsweetened chocolate in the little baking cabinet, kind of weird like carob chocolate chip cookies or chocolate chips sometimes. And I would... I learned how to bake because I wanted a brownie and I, I knew it wasn't going to show up in our house unless I learned how to make it. So that was also a really great motivation. Um, my parents are also really big on you better go get a job like when you're 15 years old. So my first job, because I was so sweets deprived, <laughs> such a terrible life. My first job was at Ben and Jerry's. Really? They let you, t- they let you take that job. Uh, yeah. And they were like, can you bring home some ice cream? (laughs) (laughs) You know, they loosened up. Gotcha. Um, when they realized we weren't terrible people, they're like, oh, I guess it'll be okay. So I worked in a mall food court and I think everyone should work in a mall food court at like in their early career because it's really, you learn a lot about society. (laughs) What did you learn? What is the takeaway from Ben and Jerry's? It's like sometimes the hallways smell and like maybe if you're nice to the to the hot dog on a stick girl instead of making fun of her and her stupid hat, maybe if you're nice to her, you can trade hot dogs for ice cream. And and like the parents with all the strollers and like just the path of least resistance is like here, just <laughs> eat this malt ball. It's all it's like it's all there. <laughs> if if you want to look for it. Yeah. So I worked at a Ben and Jerry's. That Ben and Jerry's job when I was in high school, I parlayed that into moving to Vermont to work for Ben and Jerry's ice cream like in Vermont. Wow, you up-leveled seriously. Yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, uh, I don't want to go to college right away. So so I just decided to move to Vermont um, to work for Ben and Jerry's. And I was decorating... Their, their ice cream cakes at the Ben and Jerry's scoop shop in Burlington, Vermont. To my parents' utter dismay and horror. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess then it, like, it didn't rub off on you at all. You've gone to the dark side and you're now a baker. Well, you're not really a baker at that point. No, I wasn't a baker, but it was really challenging for my parents because I was the only person in my um, college prep school that didn't go to college. Oh. And and it wasn't for lack of like 
good grades and, and social consciousness, uh, I just decided that I didn't know what I wanted to study. I had to pay for college myself and I didn't know what I was going to do there. So I just decided to wait and like be a weirdo, move to Vermont all by myself and scoop ice cream. So I did that. That's awesome. That's really brave. And actually, I think pretty intentional, really. You realize you didn't know what you valued enough to pay the money for whatever it is you're going to learn. So you didn't do it. Well, it's part, I think like my whole career path is part guts. And then the other part, like, I don't know. I have no idea. Like jumping off a cliff and figuring out how you're going to land while you're falling. That's the other half of it. Uh, so I moved to Vermont. I made ice cream cakes. I moved around the country a little bit more. I did some crazy things that involved dancing on countertops and just being young and, and amazing. Uh, <laughs> and then I went to Seattle eventually and went back to school to study English literature because I thought I was going to be a teacher. I worked another like grunty job at the Cheesecake Factory where I was, if you've ever been to the Cheesecake Factory in Seattle, I was probably your very grumpy hostess. <laughs> Not your favorite thing in the world. No, no. Um, but, you know, it all it's all part of the story. And then I moved down, back down to California, to Los Angeles, um, to finish my degree in English literature. And that's where I started baking professionally at the same time as I was in school. Really? So what was the bakery that you started at? It was just this little, little bakery. It doesn't even exist anymore. But I, I started as a barista and like worked my way back into the kitchen. And basically, if you're, I feel like if you're willing to show up to work at 3.30 in the morning, they'll let you come in and bake. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, baker's hours are really tough. And if you are going to volunteer for it, they say, come in. Really? Yes. I mean, yeah. So I started, I started baking in that kitchen. It was all like scones and muffins and biscuits and pies and so many pies. And it was a great time. I became head baker there after their head baker left. And I was in way over my head. But it was a lot. I mean, it was a huge learning experience. And that's... Um, Right after that job, I started my blog, and that was in 2008. Okay, that's what I was wondering, is how does this get to the online Joy the Baker? So how do you pick your name, being Joy the Baker? Um, I, well, it just was my name plus a description of what I was. <laughs> and it's, it felt really natural, and, um, and now it feels really catchy and appropriate. And I really like it. A friend of mine helped me choose it. And I started Joy the Baker just as I was finishing my head baker job at this bakery. I started Joy the Baker as, believe it or not, a wholesale, wholesale like bakery and wedding cake online business. And so I started by making not very good wedding cakes and selling treats to local like Los Angeles coffee shops wholesale. And my intention with Joy the Baker, the website, was to showcase all of the different things that I was baking to sell. And how did it shift for you? Well, uh, it shifted because I was looking for recipes online. I started doing that. And I ran across Smitten Kitchen. 
she had just started her blog like a year prior, a year or two prior. And it was just really inspired me. And I thought, well, I can make this sort of like blog diary thing a part of this other business that I have. And maybe I can combine my like desire to tell stories with my desire to sell muffins. And like, we'll see how that goes. And so that's how it started. Really? So obviously it picked up, I'm guessing, rather quickly. Oh, no way. I don't think anything on the internet really picked up quickly in 2008. It was like, (laughs) (laughs) people were still like, what's going on? So it, it didn't pick up until about two years in. Really? Yeah. So for two years, I was working two and a half years or so. I was working on my blog and also having different kitchen jobs and finishing school in Los Angeles. So it wasn't like, I'm going to start a blog and make a lot of money. This is so easy. No, it was never, it was never like that. When did you get to the point where you knew it could be something you did full time? For me, there was never a moment where I was like, this blog is so successful. I can quit my job and just live the good life. That that never happened. So my last restaurant job, I actually got let go from. And it's like, it's really challenging and um, like a blow to the ego when you get fired from a job, especially when you think you're good at it. And it wasn't that I was bad at it. Like I, I got fired. They were just restructuring, if you will. Um, so I got fired from my job. And I had a moment where I was thinking about printing out new resumes to carry around to different restaurants to get a new restaurant job. And then on the other side, I had this blog that I had been doing for about two and a half years and I really loved. And I put so much time and energy and creativity into it. And I thought my blog was making a little bit of money at that point through display ads. And I thought if I change my lifestyle, I think that I can work out just having a blog. I think that maybe I can work it out. But that means, I mean, it was a huge risk. And and I thought maybe in six months I'll have to move back in with my parents and maybe they're going to make me do a lot of chores. <laughs> that I mean, that might happen, but I want to try anyway. So I changed my lifestyle and that means that I, I mean, I was, I had a humble life in California before I got fired from my job, but there were definitely things that I could take out. Like I was living in an apartment by myself in like North Hollywood, but it was like I was living by myself. And so I had to give up that apartment and I moved in with two other roommates in downtown LA and things like, you know, I stopped going my little gym membership. I stopped that. All the Netflix things, stop that. Like just anything that was extra that was like a luxury gone. And so I took my expenses down by 50% and was able to maintain that for six months. And in that six months, I wrote a book proposal and sold my first cookbook. And that was like the game changer in terms of, okay, now I'm able to do my blog full time. Really? So was it the publication or the advance or just the notoriety that came with the cookbook? Um, it was it was definitely the cold, hard advance. It wasn't it wasn't the pats on the back. 
<laughs> gotcha. So it wasn't like people were suddenly coming to the site more frequently so much as it was that money that was coming in from that kind of a situation rather than display ads. Exactly. Exactly. Tell us where you're at now. I know that don't feel like it's bragging, but just kind of like, where are you now? Now I have one cookbook called the Joy of the Baker Cookbook. I'm um, looking forward to the publication of my second cookbook called Homemade Decadence this October. And I'm also starting to work on my third cookbook, which is all feels like a dream, like someone should pinch me. Um, I also have a podcast called the Joy of the Baker podcast and a website. And very well known. Everybody I think listening will probably have heard of you for the most part, but Yeah. I just, I mean, I just make scones and, and write about them. But you're also charming. You've met Pioneer Woman. I think that that just qualifies you as <laughs> a really big deal. <laughs> that I've met her. I, you know, obviously watched the Bonkers episode. What was it like meeting her? Um, well, I've known Reese since like er- early internet days. Um, okay. You know, so, so I wasn't just meeting her for the first time. And she's really sweet. She's like, she treats me like I'm her little sister, which is such a compliment, um, which also means like she'll tell me what to do sometimes or make inappropriate jokes. And I'm like, (laughs) this is amazing. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I like her very much. Okay, so what you've shared so far is all about being in California most recently, but you've actually made a move to New Orleans. Why did you do that? Um, Well... So I have, I think part of my story is that even in the part of my career life where I took all of my expenses down and just changed my life, part of that is that I am a single person and I work for myself and I do this job that's like just sort of contained within me, a kitchen and my laptop. And so with that, I have a lot of freedom and I'm really, really thankful for that freedom because I am like a wandering spirit on the inside. And because I am able to work from anywhere, I I just thought if I could if I could live somewhere different, if I could live anywhere I wanted to live right now, where would that be? And the answer was New Orleans, but that didn't mean that I just picked up and moved to New Orleans. It was I was thinking about moving for about a year before I actually took the plunge. Was it scary? Yes. And I, I think that if you're not scared in life about things that you're trying to accomplish or trying to do with yourself, then you're not doing it right. I think that fear works for me as a really great motivator and barometer of, of where I am in my life and what I'm doing to challenge myself and learn new things. And so the move felt felt and still feels scary. Um, and I just, I think that is such a blessing that I can put myself out in the world and put myself in situations where I have to learn new things and meet new people and grow from it all. That's amazing. I really appreciate that. I'm sure a lot of listeners that are listening to uh, are feeling the same. So do you kind of try to make sure that you're always feeling some level of fear in your life just so you know you're pushing yourself outside your comfort? Um, yeah, I really try to try to keep myself on my toes. And and it's, it's a hard balance because sometimes that means um, like – 
in my in my life sometimes that manifests itself in like overcommitting myself to different projects or you know putting too much on my plate in terms of work when there has to be like a life balance also so sometimes that motivator can go a little bit overboard and feel like too much and so then it, it like it can border on anxiety <laughs> you know <laughs> you know I totally relate. What do you do when you feel the anxiety? I've been feeling a lot of it lately with a lot of projects I'm working on too. Gosh, there's a combination of things that cure anxiety. Um, Wine spritzers (laughs) and naps (laughs) and um, walks and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. (laughs) You should try those things. (laughs) I kind of wish I could do that with you all at one time. Like we could have the cocktail spritzers and watch the shows while taking a walk. <laughs> yeah. Or like we could we would have the spritzer while watching Real Housewives and we'd take a nap, wake <laughs> up and get a, go for a walk. We'd feel much better. Okay. So I might have to take a trip to New Orleans just to like <laughs> chill out with joy. Yeah. So anyways. Okay. Awesome. So how are you adjusting now to New Orleans? You said you're still adjusting? I'm still adjusting. There's... I realized that I was living in Los Angeles for about seven years. I think I was back in that city. And I also grew up in that city and I have a lot of my family there. So it was really comfortable. And I didn't realize, but you take for granted all of the things that you know about a city. Like, like you know all the streets and where they go. And you know when the crazy traffic is and you know the best farmer's market and you know like your friend's work schedule, just all of the things that are in your mind that you take for granted. And putting myself in New Orleans, I know zero of those things. So um, (laughs) I'm finding that everything takes a lot longer for me to do. Like just going to the grocery store takes a while. Not to mention that in the South, I mean, I'm working on, I feel like I'm working on a whole other like time schedule here because people are just so much more relaxed and slow, just so slow. Like, I hope you didn't want your latte within the next 10 minutes (laughs) because we're going to chat and you're going to have your coffee in like 15 minutes, even though you're the only one standing in here right now. Really? Yeah. It's really like next level laid back. So that's what I'm, that's one thing I'm learning about this city and about this new world I live in. And then also I'm trying to make new friends, which is really scary and fun. And I'm an introvert, hundred percent introvert. So yeah, it's like, it feels like sort of daunting to make new friends. And it's so funny that you say that because I can relate, but like on a much smaller level, obviously, because I'm not nearly as well known as you are. But it's like there are a lot of people that probably read your blog that are in New Orleans and will probably love to be your friend. Right. I'm guessing you've gotten yeah. a lot of those offers. But how does that feel for you? Um, well, it, it feels very surreal and humbling. And it's really sweet that um, that people feel so comfortable with me that they would just reach out and want to be my friends. I think that's an incredible thing in the world that happens now. But I don't I I don't always want people I don't I don't know how to describe this. 
um, without sounding like a jerk. Like uh, there's Joy the Baker, but then there's like Joy Wilson (laughs) that works on Joy the Baker. And I just like want to make friends with people that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally relate. I can completely relate to that and totally understand because you don't know them even if they know you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know them. And then also like Joy Wilson drops some swear words sometimes and, you know, like it's just different. And I don't know how to, I don't want to feel like I have to live up to someone's expectation of Joy the Baker when I'm trying to just like, be normal and just be like someone's friend like can we just do that part where we're just friends and yeah okay I have to ask that so obviously you're trying to meet people in the real world that just meet Joy Wilson so when they meet Joy Wilson and they ask what you do what do they do when they figure out like who you are online well I don't I mean okay I don't think it's a big deal (laughs) it's not like Superman I'm like it's like Clark Kent versus like Superman no it's definitely not a big deal I mean most people are like what you do what yeah it's it's pretty regular um yeah gotcha so is blogging in New Orleans any different than LA uh for me not really well since I'm in a new place I feel like my eyes have to be open wider or like want to be open wider because there's just so much to take in And so I'm really inspired by this place. Just the colors here, the light here feels different. It's, gosh, it's like a jungle outside with the the greenery because it's so humid here. There's just a lot of newness and fresh inspiration. And that, that has made blogging feel more fun to me. That's awesome. I was actually going to also ask, so you mentioned the slower pace of the South. Has your busyness level with your career kind of softened or the anxiety you might face with that kind of stuff? Does it does it feel easier to be doing the work you're doing in a slower place or do you feel like you're just like more off rhythm with everyone else around you? No, that's a really good question. I was back in Los Angeles last week uh, for a work project. And I felt like as soon as I hit the freeway in my rental car, that I had all of this, like all of that anxiety and tightness in my chest that I had been carrying around in Los Angeles without even realizing it. I felt that comeback immediately, like it's a race and you have to win and you better look good doing it. (laughs) (laughs) You better have a tan or like, don't even come out here. that was like immediately back in my chest. And I didn't even realize that I had let go of that being in New Orleans. I didn't feel very good being back in Los Angeles. I was like, I got to get out of here. This is too much. This is too much. So the slower pace in New Orleans has definitely crept in, crept into me. And even though I still work on a lot of projects and I have a lot to do and I still struggle with like being stressed out, and having some little anxiety during the day. The fact that people here work at a different pace, stop working at dinner time and just hang out and tell stories and talk to each other, that has really helped me manage all of the stuff I'm trying to do right now, for sure. 
I can relate to so much of what you're saying. It's kind of crazy. I right now, this has been going on behind the scenes. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe by the time this actually airs, we might know. But I've been feeling similarly about Chicago at, since, and my mm-hmm. readers know, since the last winter. We thought we were going to move to Seattle and we didn't get to. But I was so excited to leave Chicago. And then I had to stay because my husband got an offer uh-huh. here. And we're now trying to see if he can work remotely and we want to move we would like to move to Austin Texas oh wonderful yeah and we and I'm looking forward to it for some reason I have this like bodily reaction this like physical reaction to staying in Chicago that I can't really explain and I feel that kind of like edginess you're talking about you feeling in LA and I don't know the outcome yet it's totally outside my control my husband's not going to leave his job because he loves it and he just started working there but I'm like praying that that we get to make that move and I get to kind of find that. I think I believe too that a more laid back city might kind of help chill me out. Yeah. And the process. Yeah, I think that's so real. And I didn't realize how how strong I felt that in me until I went back to LA. But yeah, because we're already working or we've already put so many pressures on ourselves and try to accomplish things at such a fast pace and like, and also constantly we're trying to accomplish things. It's nice to be in a place that has less of that frantic feeling in the air and where people are just like willing to sit back a little bit and relax and enjoy each other and celebrate just life. And that feels, that is like the the yin to the the franticness. Yeah. What would you recommend for other people who are considering a big move? Obviously, you know, now I'm one of the people in that yeah. crowd, but what would you tell people? You just have to decide. <laughs> you just have to decide is the major part of it. Deciding. And yeah, when people ask me how I moved to New Orleans, I'm like, I decided. And, and then the rest sort of is like grunt work, packing boxes, renting a U-Haul, getting your cat sedation drugs, <laughs> which he didn't even need. Um, so yeah, the, you just have to put your mind around it and decide to do it, which maybe that sounds silly or, or like, like too easy, but that is really the biggest part of it. And that, but that's also the part that's like wrapped up in a bunch of like fear and anxiety and like, you know, you have to work through it. Yeah, I know. I'm like the opposite. I'm like, I've already decided last fall. I decided. You decided. It's like outside my control. So I'm trying to be as like peaceful. It's we've been trying to find figure out the answer to this and whether we can do it for a month now. So I'm just kind of like at my wits end waiting. Gosh, not knowing what's going to live in August. I really hope it works out the way that you wanted to. I hope it means Austin because Austin's not a far drive from New Orleans. Oh, well, there we go. Maybe I can come over for wine spritzers. <laughs> you can come over. Okay, maybe it's like an eight-hour drive. Well, but still. I'll, I'll sedate my dog and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's move on to some questions. I knew this was going to be a big episode, so I asked people on Twitter what they had to share and actually Facebook as well. So we have some reader or listener questions for you. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, so Lizzie McFarlane at the Lizzie Turner asked, what's on your summer reading list? This is funny because I was just, I'm just putting together my summer reading list on my blog. And so I was asking people on Twitter what they were reading because my Twitter followers just really get down with some good books. 
So I'm going to read this summer The Good Luck of Right Now, which is by Matthew Quick, and he's the guy that wrote Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, this sounds awesome. I love the title already. Right? The Good Luck of Right Now. I think that'll be a great read. I'm also going to read, which came out earlier this year, Everything is Perfect When You're a Liar, (laughs) which is like, yeah, that seems so right on. That's by Kelly Oxford. Um, And then two more I'm going to read is The Rise... Wait. To Rise Again, what is it called? It's called To Rise Again at a Decent Hour, which has like some weird introvert meets social media connotations to it. And then lastly, someone mentioned that Jason Priestley, aka Brandon Walsh, just wrote a memoir, which I must read. (laughs) Awesome. So... There we go, Lizzie. That's the summer reading list for Joy the Baker. That's awesome. Or Joy Wilson will say Joy the Baker couldn't make it. So Joy the Baker can't read. Yeah. <laughs> she can bake really well, though. <laughs> Take some mean photos. So let's talk about Sarah Melton's question, who is at Cake Over Steak. She asked, how do you stay motivated when working for yourself? Um, you stay motivated by, let's see, I stay motivated because I have bills to pay. Number one. Amen. <laughs> Gosh, those bills. I mean, they are, they will kick you right in the butt. And I, I also find a lot of motivation in the people that follow me. And I, I feel like I have a responsibility to people that read my blog to update it often and update it with, you know, content and recipes and words that mean something because, you know, people have like, made me a part of their days for a while now. And I really respect that. And I am really humbled by that. And so I, I'm motivated by people that read my blog. That's awesome. And then one of our favorite people combined would be Dana Schultz of The Minimalist Baker. She has, uh, let's see, one, two, three questions for you. So one, why are you so awesome? I don't know what that means. (laughs) Two, why did you move to New Orleans, which we've already covered? So we'll kind of skip that one. And three, what advice would you give to a newish blogger out there hoping to achieve your level of success? Um, I think that it's hard to, it's hard to put together the, the stars that align and create blog success because in my experience, most quote unquote, successful bloggers don't really know the algorithm that they aligned to make it work. But in my experience, I've found that um, consistently creating content, quality content is really the foundation of blogging success. And then also I think collaboration is a big deal. And if you can reach out to people that you admire in the blogging world, just to say hello, just to, you know, just to let them know that you're in this space too. dream up a collaboration. I mean, pie in the sky, who knows? It's, it's always worth asking, but I think collaborations are, are also a big deal. Um, but it's, I mean, the blogging world is tricky. Things are always changing. There's so many more blogs now than there used to be. I mean, the pool is much deeper and bigger and so I, I know it's hard to sort of make your footprint known. Yeah. 
I agree. Actually, one of the things I've heard recently that we can kind of take with us is from Derek Halpern. He talks about when you create the quality content, spend your time promoting it as much as you do creating it as a way to get out there more too. So something to think about. Yeah. But like how I, I need to listen to that. I'm not as good at it as Derek and I probably definitely need to actually do more of it myself. So I'm kind of fallen to the camp of I spend my time creating my content rather than promoting. But if you go to socialtriggers.com, that's his site where he, you know, promotes this a lot. But he always says like, find ways to connect to the people that would need that kind of content. So he'll give a piece and he'll talk mm. about, it's he's business advice. So he'll talk about a specific, like maybe fiction authors. And then he'll go find places online that have fiction authors talking about growing their platforms. And then he'll share the post and how it's relevant to them, for example. That's cool. That's really cool. I think that um, in it's really important to understand that there's no time on the internet, in the blogging world that you're like, I have learned everything there is to know about blogging. Things will never change. I, I know everything I need to know. <laughs> and, and now I'm going to be successful. Things are always so up in the air. And you're always having to work, work a different angle that no one really has it figured out. No. And Grace Bonnie was on and she talked all about that and how she thought she had it figured out for a while and then got upset when things changed and she had to kind of check it and get on board with yeah. what was shifting for her. So yeah. yeah, that's a great point. And Dana also gives you a virtual hug. And by the way, Dana is one of the Lively Show guests from earlier episodes. So I'll put her show in this um, show notes as well for people that might want to go check her out because she's awesome. Fantastic. Okay. So now let's go on to our last few questions. So number one, what doubts or resistance have you had to face in your career or life? Um, in my career, there are a lot of doubts. And, and I think that's part of creating your own path. And, and so I, I still struggle with doubts. I still wonder like how long the internet will last and how long blogging will last and like what I'll do after this. And I know the answer. The answer is open a biscuit bakery done. <laughs> um, but yeah, the doubts are, the doubts are strong, especially early on when, you know, your blog doesn't have a huge audience and you're doing it because you really, really love to do it. And you can't really explain why, because it's not, ma I mean, I had this experience where like my blog wasn't making a lot of money. Um, I was in school and working different jobs that were actually, you know, making me money and paying my bills. And so it was hard to justify sometimes spending time on the blog, but it was just the thing that drove me the most and, and felt the best. But those doubts, those nagging doubts are, are always there for sure. Is there any recent one that's kind of plaguing you? Recent doubt. My most recent doubt goes like this. You don't have any more food to write a third cookbook. What's wrong with you? The end. <laughs> how do you how do you like kick that thought in the butt? I don't know yet. Okay. I don't know the answer to that yet. I I'm still working it out. It's yeah, I, I'm not sure I have any more food in me for a whole other book. But I know I do. I just have to find it. That's my doubt. But hey, you're in your fear zone, right? You're not Gosh. in fear zone, but you're, you're facing them. So, okay, last but not least, what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? I would tell someone just starting out to really do it and work harder than you think you can work and 
reach out to people who you think you shouldn't reach out to. Just, I mean, it's a balls to the wall situation because you have nothing to lose. So that's what I would, that's what I would tell people just starting out. That's awesome. Thank you, Joy, so much for being on the show. Yeah, girl. And there you have it. Thank you, Joy, for being on the show. And thank you for listening as always. If you'd like to send Joy a message and tell her how awesome she is, because obviously she is awesome, you can go over to Twitter and send her a message at Joy the Baker. And all of the show notes for everything we've shared today is over on JessLively.com slash Joy Wilson. Have you guys been listening to every episode so far? of the lively show now that we're at episode number 20 if so let me know please comment on this post or go over to twitter and send me a message at jess c lively i'd love to hear from you and find out if you've been listening from day one or if you've gone through them all and caught up along the way it really means a lot to me guys i'm so excited to go for the next 20 see you next week 